The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Great to be here. Um, Tonight I'd like to um, begin with a brief introduction to um, the conditions that a practitioner puts in place that eventually result in complete awakening. And then I'll look more specifically at one of those conditions, faith, and then I'll read you some accounts of faith from the poems of the Buddha's first women disciples. So how many of you are familiar with the Buddha's teaching of dependent origination? And how many are you familiar with the Buddha's teaching of liberative dependent origination? So, in the Pali Canon, there are many, many um, places where uh, the Buddha discusses um, dependent origination, and this is the, the samsaric uh, dependent origination, which begins with ignorance and leads all the way to suffering. And uh, unlike samsaric dependent origination, which is quite widespread in the Pali Canon, there's actually only one sutta uh, in the Samyutta Nikaya in which the Buddha explains um, this liberative or transcendent uh, dependent origination. Uh, And that's the Upanisa Sutta. So in Pali, Upanisa means uh, condition or support. So this is the discourse on supporting conditions. And it's useful to think of these more as conditions than as uh, direct causes. You put the conditions in place and then things can arise, but they don't necessarily always arise. And it's really interesting to me that this path uh, that leads to awakening begins with suffering. Um, And when we experience suffering, um, we're faced with a choice. It's like we're, we're, every time we experience suffering, there's a fork in the road. And we have to decide if we're going, going to go down the path of uh, meeting our suffering with um, ignorance or in some unskillful way. And of course, if we do that, we perpetuate it. The other fork in the road that we could take is to meet our suffering with wisdom. And that's the noble suffering that puts us on the path uh, to liberation and the knowledge of liberation. So the key uh, to breaking this chain uh, of samsara is when we encounter suffering to meet it with wisdom, 
rather than to respond to it instinctively, as we often do, um, with aversion or with uh, ignorance. So we want to bring to it the wisdom to see things as they really are and to greet whatever our experience is, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, to greet it with an open heart. So this liberative dependent arising, uh, it begins with suffering and then the next condition is faith. Faith gives rise to gladness or delight and then joy and it's joy that gives rise to tranquility. Tranquility in turn gives rise to happiness and happiness uh, gives rise to samadhi. Samadhi is often translated um, into English as concentration, but um, that's actually a bit narrow um, uh, for many people. And I think a more appropriate translation for samadhi might be something like uh, unification. So samadhi is this very deep meditation when we are unified with our experience. Samadhi then gives rise to clear seeing. Um, Literally in the Pali, this term for clear seeing is um, uh, oh, I have to, I'm having a blank. Seeing things arise as they are. And clear seeing then gives rise to disenchantment. And disenchantment which means we fall out of love with our ignorance, we see through our delusions, gives rise to dispassion or fading away. So then they they start to just drop away. And it's the dispassion and fading away that creates the conditions for liberation. And you might think liberation is the end, but it's not. The final uh, condition in this chain of liberative dependent arising is the knowledge of liberation. So the knowledge of liberation is uh, literally, uh, in Pali, the destruction of the asavas. And asavas is one of these uh, Pali words that's very difficult to translate into English Um, It literally means um, an effluent or an outflow. Um, And specifically in Pali, it uh, can be the um, secretion of uh, a toxic plant, some sort of intoxicating secretion. Or it can be um, the secretion of an infected sore like pus. So it has this quality of uh, being kind of yucky and, and toxic. Um, and so in this sutta, asavas refer to ideas that contaminate the mind. And there are three of these. So they are sense desire, the craving for being, for existence, and ignorance, 
So one who has destroyed the asavas is one who is fully enlightened, an arahant. Um, as I was preparing to uh, read this sutta to you tonight, I looked up three different English translations, and each one of them renders uh, the word asava differently in English. One says taints. One uh, says uh, effluence. And one says cankers. Cankers are like the um, fungal infection of a, of a plant that um, is toxic. Um, or it can be also a sore in the mouth that's... Anyway, so I'm going to use the, the uh, word taints, but when you hear the word taints throughout the sutta, remember that it's referring to sense desire, craving for existence, and ignorance. Those are the three taints that have to be eliminated to become fully awakened. So now I'll read parts to you of the uh, Upanisa Sutta. The Buddha says, bhikkhus. And when he says bhikkhus, it means he's addressing his disciples. I declare that the destruction of the taints comes for one who knows and sees, not for one who does not know and does not see. By knowing what, by seeing what, does the destruction of the taints come about? And then the Buddha lists the five aggregates of clinging, which describe all of our uh, experience such is material form, such is its arising and passing away, such is feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, such is their arising and passing away. For one who knows this, for one who sees this, the destruction of the taints is realized. So here we see that clearly seeing the arising and passing away of all of these uh, aspects of our experience is central to awakening. And then the Buddha gives a beautiful analogy uh, that depicts this process uh, as just as natural as water flowing downhill. He says, Just as when the gods pour rain and heavy drops and crash thunder on the upper mountains, the water flowing down along the slopes fills the mountain clefts, rifts, and gullies. When the mountain clefts, rifts, and gullies are full, they fill the little ponds. When the little ponds are full, they fill the big lakes. When the big lakes are full, they fill the little rivers. When the little rivers are full, they fill the big rivers. And when the big rivers are full, they fill the great ocean. In the same way, regarding this knowledge of the destruction of the taints, I declare that there is a supporting condition without which it does not arise. What is this supporting condition? Liberation. Liberation has a condition, disenchantment. Disenchantment has a supporting condition, seeing clearly, literally, knowledge and vision of things as they are. 
seeing clearly has a supporting condition, samadhi. Samadhi has a supporting condition, happiness. Happiness has a supporting condition, tranquility. Tranquility has a supporting condition, joy. Joy has a supporting condition, gladness. Gladness has a supporting condition, faith. Faith has a supporting condition, suffering. And now the Buddha uh, gives the supporting conditions for samsaric dependent arising, going back uh, from suffering. Suffering has the supporting condition of birth, becoming, grasping, craving, feeling, contact, the six sense bases, name and form, consciousness, volitional formations, and ignorance. So it's ignorant, thus ignorance gives rise to the supporting conditions for birth, and birth gives rise to suffering. So birth is what we do when we crave existence. We give birth to the sense of self. And then the Buddha concludes uh, his discourse by repeating the supporting conditions for liberation. Suffering gives rise to faith, faith to gladness, gladness to joy, joy to tranquility, tranquility to happiness, happiness to samadhi, samadhi to seeing clearly, seeing clearly to disenchantment, disenchantment to dispassion, dispassion to liberation, liberation to knowledge of the destruction of the taints. So you see, when we get to this uh, fork in the road, when we encounter suffering, one goes back and gives all those uh, difficult conditions that arise from ignorance. And the alternative is a pretty good one. We get things like delight and joy and tranquility and happiness, all that leading up to samadhi and then clear seeing and waking up. So it's, it's, kinda, it's, it's, it's attractive as, a, as an alternative. And another thing is that when we start to see uh, our experience in terms of conditionality like this, it, it takes away or it weakens uh, our ideas of self, having me at the center of, of all of our experience. And ultimately, uh, all there is is phenomena that unfold, arising, and passing away. That's it. So, um, for these conditions to lead uh, to awakening, we bring a skillful response to our suffering, and this becomes the condition that gives rise to faith. Rather than rejecting our suffering, we turn towards it as the locus of practice. So there's ordinary suffering that keeps us chained to the wheel of samsara, and there's noble suffering that gives rise to liberation. I think of samsara as the endless cycle of selfing and suffering. Nibbana, complete freedom, on the other hand, 
is the unshakable freedom from all suffering. So when we're in the midst of ordinary suffering, we're caught by this idea of self. We give birth to me, myself, and mine. And one healthy way of relating to our suffering is knowing that there is a path that leads to freedom. Noble suffering is when we have a difficult state and we turn towards it and holding it with an open heart, we investigate. So as we come to um, the condition of faith, it's important to recognize that in Buddhism, um, faith, which in Pali is sada, is by no means blind faith in a supreme being or a religious doctrine. It's not a belief system. Um, the early meaning of sada was hospitality or generosity. So faith is about how can we be hospitable to our experience and to others? How can we be generous to ourselves and others? Asada uh, is also um, translated as confidence. And it's the confidence that arises from our own experience, from knowing what direction we want to take with our lives. It's what speaks to our heart. It's we know where this is coming from. So faith is a, a confident and heartfelt assurance that this path towards freedom is worth walking. We don't have to believe in anything, but we know for ourselves, from our own experience, that this path to ending greed, hate, and delusion is valuable. And we say, yeah. I'll walk this path. This is something I can trust. And if we walk this path, the world becomes a better place because we're creating less greed, hate, and delusion. So faith is the seed that can sprout in the midst of our suffering. And the faith in the path holds the suffering and it becomes the seed that sets in motion the conditions for awakening. So when we relax with mindfulness and let the thinking mind soften, we open the door to this arising of faith. And then faith becomes the soil from which gladness or delight can arise. And we can celebrate our great fortune for having the opportunity to practice simply by staying present and letting each moment be our teacher. Now I'll share with you six poems from the Terigata, the songs of awakening of the Buddha's first female disciples. And I'm very pleased that what you will hear tonight are the draft, as yet unpublished, translations 
of a certain Gil Fransdahl. Um, so all the women in the Tiragata were said to be um, fully awakened arahants. And these poems are their way of celebrating their liberation. Uh, the ones tonight on faith, in five of them, the nun um, shares that it's faith that motivated her to go forth into the homeless life, that is, to become a monastic. And then in one poem, um, which I'll read at the end, Rohini's, it was her faith, especially in the Sangha, uh, the Buddhist monastic community, that convinces her father, who is a Brahmin and who doubted the value of the Sangha, to actually take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And then, bingo, he becomes enlightened. So the first two I'll read are little one-verse poems. And the commentary says that these poems were actually spoken by the Buddha to uh, the nun in question. And with that, she woke up. So the Buddha was very good at being able to know exactly what each person needed and then just, pum, <laughs> send it to them and they, they get it. And so after hearing this poem from, uh, from the Buddha, the woman uh, attains enlightenment and then she adopts this pro poem as her own. She, she takes it and makes it her own verse. So the first one is um, Mita. So Mita means friend. And you'll hear in this poem uh, that he makes uh, a play on words with her name. He says, Mita, having gone forth out of faith, delight in friends, by cultivating skillful qualities, attain safety from all bondage. So all you have to do, delight. And, and it's also interesting that faith, as you heard in the, in the sequence, leads to delight or gladness. So the Buddha suggests to her to delight in friends, cultivating skillful qualities, attain safety from all bondage. And then the next poem um, from Bhadra uh, is very similar. And uh, her name means blessed. So again, there's a play on words with her name. The Buddha says, Bhadra, having gone forth out of faith, be devoted to what is blessed. Cultivate skillful qualities for attaining unsurpassed safety from bondage. Next, we have a poem from Nandutara. And um, she shares with us um, the difficulty she had uh, before she became uh, a nun. And um, so she starts by saying, I venerated fire, the moon, the sun, and the gods. At the river crossing, I ritually entered the water. I undertook many religious practices, 
shaved half my head, slept on the ground, and ate no food at night. Afflicted by desire and lust, I served my body, delighting in ornaments and jewelry with baths and massage. Then, acquiring faith, I went forth into homelessness. Having seen the body as it really is, desire and lust were abolished. Severed are all states of becoming, wishes and desires. Every bond is unbound. The mind has attained peace. The next poem by um, Mitakali is um, it's a beautiful one in that it's very um, humble and um, honest. Mitakali says, I went forth in faith from home to homelessness. I wandered here and there eager for gain and honor. Neglecting the ultimate goal, I pursued a lowly goal. Controlled by defilements, I didn't know the renunciant's goal. Then, sitting in my hut, a sense of urgency arose. I had entered the wrong path under the control of craving. Short is my life, I am crushed by old age and illness. Soon this body will break apart. I have no time to waste. Looking at the arising and passing of the aggregates as they actually are, I stood up with mind freed, having accomplished the Buddha's instruction. So in this poem um, from Mitakali, we hear how she went forth out of faith, but as she says, I had entered the wrong path under the control of craving. And it wasn't until she became an old woman, crushed by old age and illness, that a sense of spiritual urgency arose. And then clearly seeing the arising and passing away of the five aggregates, as we heard in the sutta, uh, she finally awakens. But it took her a lifetime to wake up. In the next poem by Subha, uh, we see a very different trajectory. She hears uh, the Dharma as a young woman, and at a very young age, she penetrates the truths. And my sense of what this means is that uh, she attains stream entry, um, the first stage of awakening still as a, as a young laywoman. And then she longs for renunciation. Uh, and in her poem, she tells the story of going back to visit her family as a nun, and her family is trying to uh, convince her to come back home and, and to disrobe. Um, and she's very determined uh, to practice. And, um, and with faith, she becomes enlightened after only eight days 
of, uh, as a monastic. So her name means beautiful. And you'll hear at the end of the poem that the, beautiful, the Buddha speaks about her as beautiful in the true Dharma. So now I'll read you parts of her poem. This is Subha, the smith's daughter. I heard the Dharma when I was young and clean-clothed. Vigilant, I penetrated the truths. I found great non-delight in all sensual desires. Seeing fear in self-identification, I longed for renunciation. Having left the family clan, servants, workers, fields, villages, and delightful and enjoyable things, having gone forth out of faith, having heard the true Dharma well preached, I, abandoning no small wealth, it is not proper that I, wanting nothing and having abandoned gold and silver, should take them back again. Gold and silver don't lead to awakening. They don't lead to peace. They aren't appropriate for renunciance. They are not the wealth of the noble ones. Why, like enemies, do you, my relatives, try to entangle me in sensual desire? You know I've gone forth with shaved head and monastic robe. Wishing for calmness, I do battle with lust. I will live vigilant in destroying all fetters. I shall follow the path which is griefless, stainless, safe, noble, eightfold, and straight, by which great seers cross to liberation. And then the Buddha comes along uh, and sees her, and he speaks this. Look at this supa, the smith's daughter, firm in the dharma, undisturbed, meditating at the foot of a tree. Today is the eighth day since her going forth, with faith and beautiful in the true dharma, trained by Upalavana, she has the triple knowledge and has left death behind. She is a free person without debt a bhikkhuni with developed faculties, united, untied, excuse me, untied from all bonds, done what had to be done, free of taints. So we see that Subha, as a, a young woman, attains complete awakening through vigilance, determination, not delighting in sense desires, and seeing through uh, the mirage the delusion of self. And the Buddha sees her meditating at the foot of a tree, undisturbed and firm in the Dharma. And she's trained with Upalavana, who was considered by the Buddha to be foremost among all the nuns in psychic powers. And also to be, uh, he said that she uh, was a model for other nuns uh, to follow. And then uh, he says that on uh, eight days after she uh, ordained, Supa has the triple knowledge, which means that she's a fully enlightened arhat with faith and beautiful in the Dharma. 
So we'll hear more about um, the triple knowledge in the next poem by Rohini. So uh, this is a dialogue poem. It's spoken between um, a relative of Rohini, um, whom she addresses as father, and, uh, and Rohini. So she's still a young woman at home. She's still a, a, a laywoman. And he says to her, My dear, sleeping you say renunciance. Waking you say renunciance. You only praise renunciance. Surely you will become a renunciant. You give a great amount of food and drinks to the renunciants. Rohini, I ask you now, why are renunciants dear to you? They are lazy, not liking to work, living on what others give them, desirous and lusting for sweets. Why are renunciants dear to you? Rohini answers, Father, for a long time you have asked me about the renunciants. I will now praise to you their wisdom, virtue, and efforts. They like to work and are not lazy. They do the most excellent work. They have given up lust and hatred. This is why renunciants are dear to me. They do what is pure, shake off th the three roots of evil, and abandon every evil. This is why renunciants are dear to me. Pure are their bodily actions, as are their verbal actions. Pure are their mental actions. This is why renunciants are dear to me. Being mindful and not conceited, they travel far, reciting the teachings. They understand the end of suffering. This is why renunciants are dear to me. Having gone forth from diverse families, they hold each other dear. This is why renunciants are dear to me. And then her father re replies, My dear Rohini, you were born into our family for our sake. You have faith and great respect for the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. You understand these make an unsurpassed field of merit. These renunciants will now also receive our donations. Here we will set up extensive almsgiving. And she says to him, If you fear suffering, if you dislike suffering, go for refuge to the Buddha, the Dharma, and to such a Sangha. Take up virtue. This will be for your benefit. And he does this and says, I go for refuge to the Buddha, the Dharma, and to such a Sangha. I take up virtue. This will be for my benefit. I am a descendant of Brahma. Now I am a Brahmin. I have the triple knowledge, am learned, know the sacred teachings. Now I am bathed clean. So this, this poem is kind of extraordinary. Um, because at the Buddhist time, the dominant religion was Brahmanic Hinduism. 
and in and so the Brahmins were the the upper class, and <clears throat> uh, the only the men had access to the sacred teachings. If you were a woman, uh, you you didn't even have the right to read uh, the Vedas. So uh, women depended on their fathers for any kind of spiritual guidance until they got married, and then then they depended on their husbands. So it was women that were just uh, considered incapable of any um, ultimate spiritual achievement. So here we have uh, a woman teaching a Brahmin. Not only that, but a young woman teaching an, an older Brahmin, who, you know, who is her father, somebody that's above her. And not only that, but she has the wisdom and the understanding um, to be able to bring him to complete liberation by um, conveying her faith in the Sangha. So it's, a, it's a quite, quite a wonderful thing um, that, and we see this throughout many of the poems in, in the Terigata that uh, they are really um, a repudiation of the Brahmanical tradition that women have to be subservient to men. So that's something that, you know. And another thing I really like in this poem is when she says um, that diversity is one of the reasons that she, um, that the renunciants are dear to her. Um, Having gone forth from diverse families, they hold each other dear. This is why renunciants are dear to me. So recognizing that, and that's another thing that the Buddha did, was that um, anybody from any caste, whether you were a Brahmin or a warrior or a merchant or a farmer or um, a servant or even a slave, everybody could, could uh, become a disciple of the Buddha. So from every caste and from both sexes. So um, I, we have a couple minutes left if you'd like to um, share something. Um, thank you for the talk. I, I really I really appreciate it, especially the part about uh, women's empowerment. Um, the part about lusting after sweets, um, <laughs> it's just this is a hard time of year for me because of all the candy that's lying around. Um, could you maybe talk about how to skillfully work with desires for that kind of thing? I've I've actually seen monastics lusting after sweets. <laughs> you know? uh, if you if you've done the eight precepts, gone to a retreat where you do the uh, monastic um, rhythm of eating, where you don't eat between noon and dawn, they do have what they call allowables in the evening. And in this country, the allowables include uh, chocolate and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but to answer your question, ah, 
Yeah, how do you resist? It's different for, for all of us. You know, not, not everybody has a sweet tooth. And people who have a sweet truth have a hard time uh, resisting. I, I know my, my husband has a sweet tooth. What he does is if, it's, if the candy's in front of him, he knows he's going to eat it. So he puts it somewhere where you can't see it. So that, that's his strategy. <laughs> um, I think that the, the thing to do is experiment, play with it, and see, see if you can find some, some ways that work for you. It's going to be different for, for everybody. Is that helpful? Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for your talk. I just feel so, um, so amazed by your, the biography that is, I mean, I'm just, I, it's amazing your path here and that then we get to hear from you. Um, I was just wondering, you had mentioned the teacher, one of the teachers was considered the like uh, penultimate or very skilled psychic in psychic powers. And with your experience, how do you dis- define psychic powers, the psychic power com- component? Well, this, this triple knowledge that they, they talk about when they be, that's a sign of complete enlightenment, uh, that's Tevija in Pali. And um, the three knowledges are um, knowing one's former lives, knowing the karmic destinations of others and uh, knowing when one has eliminated all the fetters, which means knowing that one has become enlightened. So these first two are actually psychic powers of you know, being able to, to see into your former lives. Uh, if you don't believe in rebirth, you can interpret that as seeing into, into former lives within this lifetime, you know, when we were doing different things than we are now. Um, so uh, psychic powers, I mean, the Buddha had lots of psychic powers. And, and uh, he actually made a rule for his sangha that they shouldn't show them off. Mm-hmm. You know, not, if you're like, like, not, don't go flying around, you know, <laughs> because some of them could, apparently. <laughs> no, don't do much walking through walls and... <laughs> I like uh, the when you said great seers, the great great seers, and it just made me think, you know, t- to consider you know, the Buddha and Jesus and a lot of people that a lot of beings that have arisen as having this great seeing power, and um, and I just I don't know, I find that amazing to expand um, around that idea. So thank you. And all of these um, fully enlightened arahants are great seers. They see, they see clearly. They see it, see it all. Oh, sorry. I guess I would also extend that to... I was just listening to one of Gil's talks, and he and it's kind of was encouraging the great seeing capacity that each of us has as well to cultivate and to take um, refuge in, to sense into, to to that that we all are great seers. Yeah, and, and we all have this faith inside of us that's just waiting to blossom.
Thank you very much for your attention this evening. And may um, the goodness of our practice here tonight radiate out in all directions for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe and protected. May all beings be free.